Blog Talk Radio. Time now for the Gridiron Stud Show. Well, you can be all American. I'm actually, now. You're actually, I can do it now. You can do it now? Yeah, I can do it. I'm trying to focus on my position. With your host, Chad Wilson. They hating on me on set. You know, I got to do something in the mix. Bringing you high school, college, and NFL talk. I don't rap a discipline. You know you all need more discipline. True discipline. Come on, get a grip. Call us on the show today. Don't get out of my face with that crazy that, stuff. That, that. The number to call, 347-633-9365. Y'all got to take y'all know that. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Stud. And now, your host, Chad Let's kill that noise there a little bit. Welcome to the Gridiron Stud Show. It's been a while since I've done one. And as always, some things have gone on. But um, we're going to jump into some things here today on the Gridiron Stud Show. It's camp season. So we've had the uh, Rivals um, recruiting camp. We've had the opening regional in Miami, which was yesterday. Eager to talk about those things coming up. Um, As well as talk about the politics of college football recruiting. It's uh, ever an ongoing uh, topic during this time of year, which a lot of people want to discuss. Um, and it's one that bears repeating because we have the same issues every year over and over. And I just want to shed a little bit of light on it as well as hear from uh, you folks that are out there today. So if you're listening on the radio and listening on blog talk radio, I'd appreciate you uh, giving us a call with your thoughts. And the number to call is 319-527-6059. That's 319-527-6059. 6059 and uh, of course to you folks watching here on Facebook live uh, you could post your comments right there and I'll be able to see them don't know if I'll be able to answer all of them but um, you know all of your comments as well as your questions are welcome as uh, we're here for the next hour on the gridiron stud show so what do we have yesterday we had the opening regional in Miami it was done at Gibson Park first time it's ever done there um, a venue in Overtown and before anyone who's never been there before thinks, oh, geez, Louise, they had a, they had a, they had a camp in Overtown. Well, yeah, it's a very nice facility, uh, Gibson Park down there. Um, really, right off of the uh, overpass, but a great field, great facility. Uh, seemed to be a pretty good venue. You've got the backdrop of uh, downtown Miami in the back, very Miami. Um, let me just say that, and they made the most of uh you know the limited field space that they've had there one thing that they did at the uh, opening regional this year that i really really liked was they staggered the reporting times for 
all of the position groups. So if you were there for the duration of the event, you had a chance to see um, just about everybody um, in in uh, all of the position groups, whereas in years past, you had all of the position groups there at the same time. And if you wanted to try and check out um, everyone, you were running around from field to field and from, from you know, drill to drill across the fields, and you're getting a little bit of the O-line, a little bit of the linebackers, a little bit of the defensive backs and wide receivers. So the way that they did it this year I thought was pretty good. Um, you know, if you were able to stay there for the entirety of the event, you got a chance to see just a little bit uh, of everybody. I was not able to do that. Came early. Uh, I mean, came late, had to leave early. So I didn't even get a chance to see the wide receivers and DBs one-on-ones. Um, I did have a chance to see the wide receivers and DBs work out. Saw a little bit of the linebackers and the running backs. Um, didn't have a chance to see the O-line, D-line, although I did check out the usual suspects. I think it was, you know, by and large the same guys at this event that were at the Rivals event the week before. So, and it looks like you got a fairly deep offensive line uh, group this this year in uh, in South Florida. Uh, been some pretty good D linemen as well. I think there'll be a lot of comparisons um, with this entire recruiting group um, to last year's. Uh, I do know this is not the same amount of speed in this year's classes. There will be very difficult for that to be duplicated. I don't know if we'll ever see that kind of speed in a recruiting class again, but uh, not qu- quite the same amount of speed. Vincent Davis from Cardinal Gibbons won the uh, fastest man contest. And just for those of you out there who may have seen it reported, uh, it was it's not just – they don't just take the fastest 40 time and say that that's the, that's the fastest man. They take the guys that are the fastest, that had the best times, and they put them together, um, you know, before they go into the one-on-ones, and they have them race. And I think it was about four or five guys that raced for the uh, fastest man in Vincent Davis, running back from Cardinal Gibbons, 2019, um, ended up winning it in a time of 4.49. So I had some people inboxing me on Twitter. Hey, was that the fastest time? 4.49? I mean, is that where we are now? Uh, 449 is just not fast enough anymore. Um, unbelievable. But nevertheless, I guess we've come to expect quite a lot from uh, South Florida when it comes to, um, you know, speed. And so last year we had uh, a couple of guys go out to the opening, uh, Tyson Campbell and Anthony Schwartz, and ran um, against each other and both clocked the 427. So I can understand um, people – um, eyebrows and ears uh, perking up when they saw it was only a 449. Again, it's February. I mean, no one's really gotten into any serious training. I, I, I don't remember the kind of times that were run at the regional last year. Uh, they're typically not fast. South Florida usually kicks this thing off, and so it's early in the year. Track seasons really hasn't gotten going. You've only had one track meet. Um, the training really hasn't gotten in uh, really really strong. So you're not going to get the fastest out of these guys in February. So, you know, you add that in there and, um, you know, that might give you a little, little reason as to why the time was, uh, four, four, nine and not four, three, nine or four, two, nine. I don't know what people expect. Okay. Um, people greet these times with a certain amount of, um, skepticism anyway. You know, if you go say a kid ran a four, three, nine at the combine, um, there are a bunch of people questioning it anyway, and then they want to throw up the 
they want to compare the times um, to the, the times run at the NFL combine. So if you run slow, people ask why you ran slow. If you run fast and people are questioning it, you can't win for losing down here. And I think that's just society in general. All right, but before I get really launched into, um, you know, football discussion, because that'll be easy to take up the whole show, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on what happened at Douglas High School. I think um, many of you have seen the video that I put out discussing it, how we could, you know, limit school shootings. And that's just starting us off with caring. But is anyone else in my generation embarrassed? And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I'm watching these kids at Douglas High School, and I'm serious. I'm seriously inspired by, um, and I'm encouraged. Because sometimes you look at the younger generation and the things that they're into, and you start to worry about them and wonder if they're going to be able to, what, what's going to become of that generation? Um, we don't like their music choices, their video game choices. We don't like how they act. They seem, we, we have all these problems um, dealing with our young people and how they're growing up. But when I look at those kids at Douglas High School, I'm, I'm seriously inspired and encouraged, but I'm also a little bit embarrassed because I'm looking at these kids right now and how they're handling that tragedy that happened at their school. And, folks, they're not taking that thing sitting down. This is just not going to be another school shooting. These kids are out. They're outspoken, and they want to do something about it. Okay? They're attacking our politicians, rightfully so. Um, and you've got kids trying to find loopholes in, in being able to be members of, uh, of Congress. I mean, they want to join now as teenagers. They are fed up. And you know who they're fed up with? They're fed up with our generation. They're fed up with our generation because our generation are the ones of age to be the politicians. And if we're not of age to be politicians, we're of age to be voting uh, in these politicians. And we have essentially put these kids in this situation simply by the way that we vote. I mean, we are, I mean, look at what's going on right now with the FBI and um, them infiltrating our election in 2016. Do you know how they did that? Has anyone paid attention to that? They did it through social media. And you know how that was done? By and large, that was done because we don't research anything. No one wants to read. We're in a hurry to get through our timeline. Most of us don't really only have time to look at a headline and we take it at face value. We look at a picture, we take it at face value. We'll watch 10 seconds of a clip, and we will take the caption at face value. We will say, yep, that's what happened. I saw uh, not too long ago, I saw a, about a 30-second, maybe 40-second clip of a video. And the caption was, black man beats up white guy for being a Trump supporter. And sure enough, you turn it on and... Um, it's a black guy pounding a white dude into submission. Punches coming from everywhere, and this white guy's not doing a really good job of blocking the punches. And then somehow I happen to see the full video um, at some point later on. In the video, there is nothing in there discussed about anyone being a Trump supporter, nothing like that. In fact, the white guy had called the black guy the N-word several times that he ignored. And at a certain point, he had had enough, then he put hands on. But the 30-second uh, clip, the shorter clip that I saw, the caption said, black guy pummels white guy for being a Trump supporter. And this is the kind of stuff that you're getting on social media on a daily basis. Bits and pieces of information manipulated by people so that they can manipulate your thought process. And that happened in bunches during the election on both sides. But it seemed to be 
um, a concerted effort by the Russians to poison people against Hillary Clinton. And then uh, once that was, well, first of all, they didn't even want her to be the Democratic nominee. But when they failed in that, they decided they were going to push Donald Trump. And that's an ongoing investigation. And that's not even, I'm not even here to discuss whether or not that was done, that was right, whether Trump uh, won by nefarious means. Not even here to discuss that. The fact that that was done, the fact that they thought they could do that, um, the fact that it seems that they succeeded in do that, tells us that we seem to be very vulnerable in this country because we're not as intelligent as we may think we are. We're not as intelligent as we used to be. We do no research. We don't read. We're into all of our vices. Um, we've got our faces stuck in our phone. You try to get anyone to read more than 140 characters these days, and um, you're, it's like pulling teeth. So we just read headlines, we run with it, and we get manipulated on a daily basis. We're spending more and more time on social media, and while we're doing that, scrolling through our timelines, we're being manipulated. So through social media, um, we can manipulate people into being racist. We can form any kind of idea that people want to manipulate us into about any ethnic group, whether that's black, whether that's, uh, whether that's Mexicans, whether, that is, whether that's white people, um, whether that is um, people of Arabic descent, and it's going on on a daily basis. So many agendas going on and on, and we're easily manipulated because no one wants to research anything. We don't even want to research a picture. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a doctored photo of a woman, breast out of nowhere, behind out of nowhere, and if you take the time to go and look up the real picture, it's not that. It's not that. And that's just an example of what goes on on a daily basis. We're getting manipulated. And even though there's all this information that's available to us, the more information that's available, the more we must research. And we're just not willing to do that. We're going to rush through everything. And so I am uh, very encouraged and inspired by the kids at Douglas High School that are very pissed off about our politicians and the fact that nothing's done. And we know the drill, okay? Prayers go out to XYZ school. Prayers go out to the families uh, in this town where the mass shooting occurred. Um, and uh, all of this... Sympathy is poured out. I don't want to call it fake, but you almost have to when all this sympathy is poured out and this rhetoric is poured out in interviews by politicians immediately after the event happens. And then months later, nothing has changed. No law has changed. There have been absolutely no changes whatsoever. And then we have the next mass shooting. How's that even acceptable? I'll tell you who's accepted it. Our generation. We're the ones going out there and voting. One of the most important things that I've heard these children saying, and they are children, they're not even 18 years old. One of the most important things I hear them saying is that they, have, they are going to take a hard line against anyone that accepts money from the NRA. And we can go on and on about the NRA and what they stand for and what they've caused and whether they're right, wrong. That's not a political discussion that I want to step into because you have people that truly believe in the NRA and you have people that think that they're the devil. And we would never solve that dilemma here on this show today. We'd never get everyone to agree to what we think they are. However, we do know this as a fact. They are um, 
for lack of a better term, a political action organization. They donate money to people's campaigns to get them elected so that they can vote a certain way for them. They either find a candidate that's sympathetic to um, their cause and they push the money behind them, or um, in certain cases, they will bribe an individual with that money. And our politicians, it's all about nowadays staying in power. And if you don't have money, you cannot get your message out there and you don't get elected. And then how now do you get anything done if you're not in office? But what this has caused is total inaction. Total inaction. We stall everything because these politicians can only and will only vote according to um, the money that has put them in there. And that's going on. So it's not just the NRA. And I hope these kids will look deeper into that. I understand that the NRA and guns are at the forefront um, of the discussion right now because of what happened at Douglas High School. But I seriously hope that us and that we in this generation support them in looking at all of these political action committees and these organizations that donate large sums of money to get politicians to vote the way that they want so that they can reap the benefits. That's what, our poli- that's what our politics has been reduced to now. I don't know how we get stronger as a nation um, handling our politics that way. It's just not an equal ground. So I think what we need to do here is I don't think that – I don't know that that's going to change. It can if we get behind these youngsters. I mean and in large and in bunches. Hey, you know what? If you take a dime – and this is what they're saying. If you take one dime from – the NRA, we're not voting for you. And if they're successful in spreading that message throughout their generation, there's going to be a whole new, smarter, uh, more powerful generation of voters coming up. If we even think you're taking money from the NRA, you're not getting our vote. And that really should be the thought process throughout the roles of voters, not just the youngsters that are coming in that are going to be new voters. But those that are involved in voting right now, why do you want to back a candidate that's bought and paid for? How are they going to be impartial? How are they going to improve us? And I'm going to tell you the reason why that happens. Because we now as Americans vote only for our specific special interests. We could care about nothing else. If our taxes are going to get lowered, if we're in the bracket that's going to get the lower taxes, we don't care about anything else that's going on. They could kill everyone around us. We don't care. We don't care about a school shooting. We don't care about kids that died. If my taxes are going to be lower by the end of the year because of this candidate, he's my guy. How did we get here? How did we get here? I came up in the 80s, and we had a common enemy known as Russia, and we banded together as people. There was a tremendous amount of pride. We were fighting this common enemy that we had. That was from the outside. And it seems like after we defeated Russia, there were no more enemies. There was no more Nazi Germany. There was no more Russia. Um, Canada was a friend. And all these other nations could do nothing to us. We're the strongest nation in the world. So what did we do? We decided the enemies were going to be each other. Now that we're the strongest nation out there, we're going to step on each other to get to the top and be at the highest point of our nation. We're going to be the richest. We're going to be the most powerful. We need to be seen the most 
by the most powerful nation. This is not the same thing that happens in uh, our sports. Let's take football, for example. What happens when a team starts winning back-to-back championships or multiple championships? Before you got to that point, it was, let's put in the extra work. Let's band together. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll take a pay cut. Let's get to, let's, let's beat those guys. Let's win a championship. Let's go back-to-back. After you win back-to-back, what happens? The guys start fighting with each other. Well, I, you know what? I need to get paid. How are you going to pay this guy more than me? You telling me this guy was more responsible for us winning than I was? And then it starts. Everybody needs to get paid. Everyone needs to be the most important player on the most important team. And they fight from within. And then the dynasty crumbles. Someone else hungrier, more united, moves up on them, crumbles them down, and then they're gone. And the dynasty is a memory. Is that where we're headed in this country? China's eager to send their stuff over here to us. Russia's playing around with our election. I mean, we ought to be pissed off about that. They're playing with our elections. Other company, other countries are sending us their drugs in bunches. We've got some we've got some countries that are scamming us. They're sending us emails because, you know, we've inherited a large sum of money from some dictator. Some companies, some countries are scamming us. Some are sending us all of their um, lovely electronic devices that are going to distract us. And then other countries are messing around with our elections. While we're sitting here fighting with each other, all of these other countries are slowly moving in. Are we going to be a lost dynasty? Are we going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, the Cowboys the 49ers of the 80s and 90s? What's going to happen to us? Our literacy rate is falling. And we're just being toyed with. Because you know what? We don't have a common enemy anymore. We are our enemy. So we vote for our own special interests. Lower my taxes. Kill everyone else. You could send everyone's kids back home that were born in this country. Send them back. Don't care. I want my taxes lowered. I want my kids to go to the best school, and I don't care what that means about anyone else. I'm not telling you not have some, you know, take care of your family. And, of course, we all at some point need to have our, you know, best interest in mind. But to the total exclusion of everyone else that is a citizen in this country, or that is, has a hand in being a part of this country, just seems foolhardy to me. I'm not even going to talk about it on a moral level because it doesn't even matter anymore. We're moralists. We're done with morals. We don't care about it. If it makes money, then it makes sense. It just seems stupid. What good are we as a nation if 10 people make all the money and then millions of others falter? How long before another country moves in and takes that from you? We're stronger together as a nation. If you think we're just going to have a handful of people rise to the top and essentially take a piss on everyone else, and we will be strong enough to withstand attacks from outside, you're wrong. Think if a football team, after they win back-to-back championships, decide that they're going to take 
their $80 million um, entire, they're going to take their entire salary and pay it all to the quarterback. Okay, there's a salary cap. It's $80 million. And after winning back-to-back championships, they're going to take $75 million of that money, and they're going to pay it to the quarterback. And for the remaining 50-some-odd guys on the roster, they're going to pay them $5 million. What kind of players do you think they're going to have? What kind of players are going to surround that quarterback? How good is that team if, he's, if they've got the highest-paid, best quarterback, and he's surrounded by players that just aren't that good? Is, are they going to continue to win championships? How long before they get bounced out of the playoffs in the first round, then they end up 8-8, eight and eight, then they end up 5-11, and 11, then they're 0-16? That's what we're trying to do in this country. And it takes some kids at Stoneman Douglas High School to bring that to our attention. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm listening to these kids talk, and they sound like the adults. Right now, it sounds like our generation is the drunk dad and the drunk uncle fighting in the lawn, and the two 11-year-old kids got to come up and say, break it up. You guys are acting like kids. So while I'm encouraged and inspired by those kids at Douglas, I'm embarrassed for our generation. We've set this up for them. We've put them in this position where we've got all of these mass killings going on. We can't even agree. We can't even agree on gun sensible gun control. You know, I spent some time this weekend after this tragedy uh, doing a little research and just paying a little bit more attention to our gun culture. And I found uh, a couple of Instagram pages that had to do with guns. And you, you want to know the reality of it. I, this is how I look at it. Um, I found one page, and I'm not going to put the name out there. But when I watch this individual talk about his guns and post the pictures on his guns and post the videos on his guns, He's in love with his guns, almost worshiping the guns. And I think to ask that person the way they feel about guns, to turn them in or tell them like half of your collection is now illegal, that person would lose their mind. It's almost like you bought a puppy for your kids and they had it for an entire year and you're telling them at the end of that year, we got to take the dog back to the pet shop. They'd be crushed. I'm seeing the passion this guy has in talking about his guns. I mean, this guy has a major heart on talking about his guns. And if you were to turn around and knock on that guy's door and said, hey, listen, man, those rifles you put up yesterday, they're now illegal. We need to take those back. <laughs> I think you know what's going on. And that's just one page. We've got millions of Americans across this country that are like that. And as I sit here and listen to all of their logic and their reasoning behind not banning assault weapons and wanting to lean against um, restrictions on purchasing a gun, it stems from that. They love their guns. They want their guns. They want more guns. And their answer to our gun problem at schools, their answer to everything that having to do with guns, if you, if you sit around and listen to it, is more guns. Oh, they're shooting at the schools? Let's, uh, let's get armed military personnel at the schools. You know what? Let's arm the teachers. So let's have 
let's have the English teacher and the home ec teacher sitting there with a Glock on their hip while they teach school. I mean, it sounds crazy. And those kids at Douglas say, we don't want that. We don't want to walk past armed personnel to go to school. We don't want high walls. We don't want barbed wire fences. We don't want someone in the top of a tower with a rifle ready to pick one of our classmates off that has a problem. We don't want that. What we want is that if one of our classmates snap, they aren't able to come in to the school with an assault rifle and gun down 17 of us in five minutes. That's what they're saying they want. Stricter laws, common sense laws, to where they don't have to live in daily fear of being gunned down. That's what we've got. And so this is coming from our teens. So, hey, listen, if you are worried about that generation, um, those kids at Stoneman Douglas, you, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe we don't need to worry about them. They're a little tougher. They've got a, little, they've got a bigger pair of balls than apparently we do. I know how I'm going to continue to vote. But they're telling you how they're going to vote, and they're uh, a year or two away from uh, being part of the voting public, and I just can't wait. Maybe we can restore some order to this thing. Maybe this next generation will really get down to voting for what's best for all and not just ourselves. I'll pass on a lower tax bracket. I will pass on a tax break if it means that I'm going to vote for a guy that's going to keep our kids in school alive because I actually care. I mean, how about that? And it's not just the kids in Florida I care about. It's not just because I coached a couple of kids last year at American Heritage who came from Douglas. It's nothing to do with that. I care about kids in Texas getting gunned down. I care about kids in Montana getting gunned down. Maybe it's because I have kids or maybe because I'm just a human being. And I care that human beings are getting rifled through, pardon a pun. But someone snaps, and if there isn't anything we're going to do with our mental health to completely eradicate someone snapping. That's, we're not going to get rid of that. We could do a better job of slowing it down. We could do a better job of limiting the amount of people that get to that point or getting them help before they do. We will never fully eradicate our society, this country, or any other country from people who snap. It happens. Mental health, a lot of times, is a hereditary thing. So there's nothing we can do about that. But for the love of God, when somebody snaps, they don't need to have an assault rifle in their hand. It's just not what we need. And it may sound crass, man, but 17 people... Um, don't need to die, man. What if it, what if it was just nine that came in there with a handgun? I mean, the parents of the nine people who would get caught in that are not going to feel good, man. But listen, what, how many shootings are we going to have this year? Because I'm pretty sure we're not going to get anything done. I'm really feeling like we're not going to get anything done with gun control until these kids that are at the age of the kids at Stoneman Douglas start to become voters. I sincerely hope that they go all out and start a massive campaign of collecting um, the minds of their, of their generation and getting them to the polls and getting them to vote for what is right for the majority. Not just me. Studio light's tripping here. I think the studio light feels me. 
Nevertheless, um, if you have your thoughts on that, feel free to call the show. It's 319-527-6059 with your thoughts. And again, if you're uh, watching me here on Facebook Live, feel free to join in with your comments um, and your questions. If you have any questions, you can get to that. But that's just where I am. Um, Bottom line for me, I'm encouraged and inspired by the kids at, at Douglas. I'm also embarrassed, though, because they seem like the adults and we seem like the kids. We've put them in these positions by the way that we vote and the things that we care about and how we go around conducting our daily lives. We seem to care only about us. What's best for me? What's best for me trumps everyone else around me. I don't care what happens to anyone else. Just lower my taxes, please. Help me out with uh, capital gains tax. As long as I get that, man, I don't listen. Any one of those other classes of people or races of people, you can do what you want with them. Build a really tall wall and don't let one Mexican in here. All the Haitian-born American kids, send them all back. Just lower my taxes. That's all I care about. Just lower my taxes. So I can go buy some more stuff from Amazon and go buy a bigger car and a bigger house. I could get into some of the other issues that we have, too, which is um, the falling apart of the American family. Mom and dad need to go out and work more, so uh, they both need to be out of the house till 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night, and no one's home with the kids. And the kids are home at 4 o'clock, and they're on the Internet learning how to build a bomb or jimmy up a rifle to shoot 7,000 rounds a second, and there's no one there to watch or pay attention because... Both parents need to be out of the household so they can make massive amounts of money so we could buy a bunch of products from all of the companies out there. We need to be super consumers. We need to go buy more stuff that the Chinese are sending over here to us. Yeah. That's us. Well, I'm sorry that my sports show turned into a political show today, but we'll bring it back to sports now as I start talking um, about politics, but not politics in this country, politics and recruiting. And we go through this every year. Uh, Kids go to these recruiting camps and they leave disappointed because they did not win an award or they find it fishy as to how a certain, you know, certain person won an award or whatever the case may be. I want everyone here to listen very closely to me. And if you're a business owner, you'll understand this. If you're not a business owner, perhaps you won't. I'm just going to appeal to common sense And if you don't get it, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just trying to make you aware of how these things work. These recruiting outfits, uh, ESPN, Rivals, 247, Scout, all of them, they're businesses. And they're in the business of entertaining people who will buy their subscriptions to read their stories and get their information. And so um, they cannot be solely focused on one thing. And to be quite honest with you, the people purchasing subscriptions don't want to hear about an undersized defensive end that was at a camp. They don't. They want to hear about the six foot five beast, the monster that looks like a man. And he may not have played as well as the undersized kid, but that's what they want to read about. That's what they want to know about. They want to know about the six foot six giant that was at the camp and what does he look like? And is he talking about coming to my school? And if these recruiting outfits don't cater to that, if they don't play up to that, they don't get the subscriptions. And then why are they in business? I mean, a rivals camp is free. The opening regional is free. They charge those kids to come there. 
They make their money by having those kids come, the best in the area come, and by best I mean those who play well along with those who look damn good, bring them to the area, evaluate them, take pictures of them, interview them, put it on their website, and have people subscribe to get the information. It's a very simple business um, map, plan, whatever you want to call it. Pretty simple. But yet we get people down here that are pissed off. Uh, my son, who was a five foot seven quarterback that was throwing dimes out there, didn't get written up, and was in the camp MVP. Listen, uh, your son might be a great player. And the fact that he didn't win an award at the camp does not make him suddenly not a good player anymore. Simply means that the base that buys the subscriptions are not interested in that over the six foot three quarterback. That's just the way that it is. And it's the fans of the big schools that buy these subscriptions. The Ohio States and the USC's and the and the Miami and the Florida and Florida States and Georgia and Alabama, Texas, they buy the subscriptions. They pay the $9.95 or $12.95 or whatever, $15.95 a month to read the articles and get the information. I mean, most of the people that are complaining anyway aren't even subscribers to these sites. They're borrowing someone else's code to get in. So you're not even contributing to their bottom line. So they, you know, essentially shouldn't and don't care about your opinion. Whatever drives the biggest amount of subscriptions is what they're going to report. So it's the 6'3 quarterback, the 6'6 defensive end, the 6'2 wide receiver, the 4'3 defensive back, the 220-pound running back. The people in Pennsylvania want to hear about that person. That's what they want to hear about. And if that's not your kid, then I'm sorry. But don't get all bent out of shape. And the last thing you want to do is do that in front of your kid. Just teach your kid to be happy for whoever wants. Be happy for whoever won the award. I told you the last time I was out here uh, on this show, and I wrote an article about it two weeks ago, the things you need to get out of the camp. I don't believe anywhere in that article I wrote something about getting an award. Least, that's the last thing on your mind. What you need to be concerned with is getting in front of that competition, competing with it, finding out where you are strong, where you're weak, what you need to work on, and see your competition. Here's what we have down here in South Florida over a, not, a, lot, of other, um, a lot of other areas. We can see our competition. Those kids in Indiana... Those kids in Kansas, Arkansas, they don't get to see their competition. Their competition are kids in South Florida and Texas and California. They don't get to see their competition. You're down here in South Florida and you show up to one of those events, you're seeing your competition. You're seeing the people most likely that you're going to be fighting with for those scholarships. Think about those kids in those areas. A camp comes to town, they go there, and they face the best of their area. Those aren't really the guys they're fighting with to get a scholarship. So if you're down here in South Florida complaining that you didn't get an award, uh, that your kid played the best, or, or the kid himself saying, uh, I, you know, I had the best camp and I didn't win the award, shame on you, man. That's not even what this is about. Go and compete. See your competition. 
And then you go out there and you make connections. Talk to recruiting reporters. Talk to people that are in recruiting. Talk to trainers, people that make you better at your position. Make all the connections you can. But if you're going out there for an award, that's a short-sighted view of what you need to do. So for those of you out there that are listening to me today, man, what are some of the things, what are some of the politics about college football recruiting that really disturbs you, that really bothers you? What are the things about college football recruiting that uh, make you angry? I'd love to hear some of those things right now. And I have an idea of what some of those things are, but I'd like to hear from you. Perhaps I'll hear something today um, that I have not heard before. But what, is it, what are some of the things that really, really irritate you? Been at this for a little minute. And I'm just here to tell you, the quicker you realize that these outfits are businesses that need to make money, I mean, the more at peace you will be with what happens as you go through this process. And the quicker you start to come to a certain amount of reality about how things work, and you can have a little bit more of an open mind about exactly how it is that um, you need to approach recruiting. So when we get back on the other side, hopefully I'll have some questions for you. I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back here on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payout. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Show. 
I have someone off camera here. Did you want to join the camera? Did you have something you wanted to tell me? No. All right, nevertheless. There's just a voice in the background, right? The lovely Carmen Wilson, everybody. Anyway, we're back here on the Gridiron Stud Show talking about the politics of recruiting. As well as, uh, hey, we've had a couple of recruiting showcases the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you can give that a pull. Let's see how we look. I could kill this light here. Anyway, this isn't great radio, but it's fun on Facebook Live if you could watch this going on. Yeah, I guess this will work. Anyway, um, we had a, we had the uh, Miami opening, the opening regional in Miami yesterday at Gibson Park. Um, and, you know, as usual, a lot of great talent out there. Um, the linebacking group for 2019 looks pretty solid down here in South Florida. A lot of, a lot of well put together guys running around, making plays out there, looking athletic, tough to really evaluate linebackers when you get to um, these camps because all you really can uh, evaluate in shorts and shirts with linebackers is just the athleticism. I mean, obviously not in pads, so you really can't judge too much on toughness there. And that's a big part of playing linebacker as well as running back as well. I think the folks who really benefit from this thing the most are the wide receivers and defensive backs because you can't even get a clean um, look at the quarterbacks either. Without any type of pressure to throw the ball, you really don't even know what you have. Um, That's when a quarterback becomes real. I think I still need my light here. Oh, that thing is hot. Nah, not doing it. Not doing the light. Anyway, if you're following along with me here on the uh, radio blog talk, radio 319-527-6059 is the number to call, 319-527-6059. And the question I was asking before I went on the break was, um, what's something in uh, college football recruiting that really irritates you or bothers you? Um, Love to hear from some of y'all on that if we can. Uh, but nevertheless, we're full go into seven-on-seven seven season as well as um, camp season. And um, I'm going to have to have a seven-on-seven seven show coming up here pretty soon to talk about it. have got people out there that swear you do not get offers from seven-on-seven. Seven. Um, and on the other side of that, I have people that swear that that does indeed happen. You, you can get offers from seven-on-seven. Seven. Where do I stand on it? Uh, I can give you my answer to that. I guess I'm going back to the light. Just don't like how I look here. But nevertheless, um, and we've got my shadow here. We can play shadow games. Nevertheless, um, what do you folks out there think? You think you can get offers from seven on seven? Can you grab yourself a seven on seven offer? Listen, I personally have seen it happen. Okay. Um, you know, as I've said in shows past, sometimes you have a kid trapped at a school where he can't really display his talent. He's a wide receiver, and they're in a run-heavy offense, and he just can't show himself at, you know, during the season. And he comes out to seven-on-seven events, looks good, moves well, and, you know, people get that information and video into the hands of coaches, and they realize that they've got something there. And I've seen kids offer it that way. Uh, same with defensive backs seen that happen. Man, I've seen quarterbacks get offered off a seven-on-seven. We could go on and on about the merits of something like that. Should you be offering a guy off of seven-on-seven? 
Um, but I've seen it. That's not the norm, though. Um, like I said, you really don't know much about a quarterback until uh, people are padded up, chasing them, uh, trying to take their head off. Until then, we don't really know much. I mean, you, could, you know, a lot of people can throw a pretty ball uh, when they know they're not going to get hit. But once a defensive end runs through your spine a couple times or you get a blitzing linebacker that uh, smashes you in your helmet, the ball may come out a little differently. That's just kind of how these things work, especially at the high school level. So, But I have seen quarterbacks offered by certain schools off of seven-on-seven. Seven. This may be something foreign and strange to folks in other parts of the country. But uh, down here in South Florida, it's a big deal, and it, uh, it does happen. might not happen in some other places. I'm wondering what goes on in Texas. I know this. California, Southern California, from what I understand, is getting uh, a lot very much similar to South Florida in terms of um, kids moving around from school to school. You know, I pay attention to the West Coast. Obviously, I finish high school ball out there, and I'm seeing uh, what's going on, and yes, um, getting very much like South Florida in the way the kids move around. And Mata Day and St. John Bosco are the two big heavyweights out in South, Southern California right now, and they seem to be benefiting the most from kids hopping uh, around from, from school to school. And parents are making that choice um, to put their kids in the powerhouse and put them in the best position to be recruited. Can we fault them for that? I don't know that we can it's just the way that things go. That's how everything's moving to. You want to give your kids the best opportunity. They only get one chance to do this whole high school uh, athletics thing, this whole high school football thing. They get one shot at it. And if a parent thinks the best place for their kid is Mata Day or St. John Bosco, man, they're going to make that move. And uh, I think through some recent um, rule changes in the CIF, California Interscholastic Federation, it has made it uh, rather easier for kids to move around. And so they are doing that. Might have opened some floodgates. I do remember uh, getting a phone call from someone out west the first time, um, a very prominent kid, and I believe it was a quarterback, can't remember the name, maybe it'll come to me here soon, um, moved from California all the way out to IMG. And I got the call, hey, what is IMG? What? You know, why do we have a kid moving from a hotbed of high school football in California to someplace called IMG in Florida? And I had to explain to them that it was a football academy for kids where uh, kids are made to act like they're in college and they often look like they're in college and they go through a college type schedule. And it truly is college football prep. And so uh, that had to be explained. And so I've been hearing the recent uh, back and forth also where Mater Day wants to play IMG. I really wanted a Mater Day American Heritage game last year, and it just didn't happen. Uh, I guess maybe we got on it too late. I don't know what happened. It just didn't happen. Um, so now word is Mater Day wants to play American Heritage this year. Uh, they also want to play IMG, and there's some big talking going back and forth. If any of you out there listening, who do you think would win that matchup, Mater Day and IMG? Hard to say because we don't know what uh, each one of these teams have this year. But let's say it was last year. Who would win an IMG Mater Day matchup? Who do you guys think would win? Clearly, each one of the uh, schools think that they would uh, 
come out on top in that matchup. That's what's supposed to happen. No one goes in and says, yeah, I think they would have beat us. No one really talks that way. But uh, what do you guys out there think? Who would win an IMG modern day matchup had it occurred in 2017? That would have been interesting. Of course, I coached at American Heritage, so already know American Heritage would have beat modern day had the two played last year. That's just how that goes. But uh, I'm going to go for two neutral teams, modern day and IMG. Who would have won that thing? And I think we should see more California versus Florida matchups. I personally would like to see it for personal reasons. I'm not coaching anymore, but uh, I would love to see that happen a little bit more. We did have Bosco come down here and play St. Thomas. It was a baseball game, 6-3 to three or something like that. wasn't the most exciting thing in the world. If you happen to like defense, then it was a great game. You enjoyed that. But most of us like offense and points and the ball moving, and there really wasn't much of that going on in that game. So uh, I don't know how much we can draw from that. Who's stronger, uh, South Florida or Southern California? But it'd be nice to see more matchups like that. I don't think we see enough Florida-Texas matchups. There's a time where Texas was the king of high school football, and uh, I'm sure they still refer to themselves that way. We don't have any real way to know for sure. But, uh, you know, we can, it'd be nice if we could have those matchups and we could see, you know, what the deal is. Find out what's what. But anyway, only got about seven more minutes remaining in the show. Uh, and if folks have any questions or anything or comments like that, I'd be happy to take those right now on the show. But coming up this week, I do want to have a seven on seven show. Um, I'm going to have both proponents for All-Star 7-on-7 as well as those who oppose it. And there's quite a few passionate folks on each side of it, and I'd like to have that hashed out on both sides as uh, we try to come to some common understanding about All-Star 7-on-7. We have folks now, um, and there's a growing sentiment in the state of Florida where folks would like to have 7-on-7 just be with the schools and not have All-Star 7-on-7. All-Star 7-on-7 is getting a bad rap, in, at least in South Florida, and it seems that it's, that's happening in other areas as well. And so we've got people that just want to form a league um, in the state of Florida and just have the schools play in there. But my question is this. I've already told you some of the benefits for kids in All-Star 7-on-7. It allows them to step outside of what's going on within their own program. You know, for instance, a wide receiver in a program where they don't throw the ball much. But if he's now, for lack of a better term, stuck with that high school during the seven-on-seven season, isn't he facing the same problems? I get it. It's seven-on-seven, so the ball is going to be thrown. But if it's not really what you do, or you don't have a good quarterback, I mean, the wide receiver is going to suffer at the hands of an inept passing game. So he doesn't get the looks that he might have gotten if he was with all-star seven-on-seven. That's one way to look at it. There are people who are worried about the amount of recruiting that goes on in All-Star 7-on-7. I know this. I was not too happy with how things were going at that IMG um, tournament that they have every year. I saw early on exactly what that was about. You're inviting all of the top teams from all around the country to play on your campus, and you're giving tours on your carts. You're touring the facilities yeah, I saw what that was. Then they turned around and used the money that they had made 
to build uh, an outstanding stadium and put up great facilities. And every year you kept bringing the top players back from the top schools across the country to play in a tournament, and they kept seeing the progress. The nice stadium, the, uh, the weight room, the facilities, and then kids were disappearing. They weren't going back to their hometowns. And it was very genius by the IMG, and I saw it, and uh, I was not too happy about it. So I don't even know how folks down here feel about uh, IMG, what they think about it. Not sure how they feel about how that school, about that school, that whole setup. But looks like it's here to stay, not going away anywhere. So um, you could share your thoughts on how you feel about IMG. Yeah, I see you, Mario. Um, can you shed a little bit more light uh, on on the cheating? That Mario Daly, who's following us here on Facebook Live, um, is talking about the cheating that's going on in seven on seven. That it's outrageous. Older players playing against younger players. Um, you know that happens down here a little bit too. And you have fifteen and under um, tournaments and. IMG is the only one that's really checking birth certificates. So you get older kids playing against younger kids. Just don't understand what people get out of that. If you're a coach and you knowingly play with older players and you win, how do you feel good about that? If you're the player, you know you're 16, 17 years old, dominating 15-year-olds, how in the world do you feel good about that? You guys really need a trophy that bad? I don't understand. Blows me away when I see that happening, but... Nevertheless, it uh it it does it does happen. I missed some of those last comments, but yeah, Johnny, um, going back to players changing positions, probably probably a good idea. You know, I've seen kids go out to camps and they play one position during the season, and then uh, they compete at a different position uh, when they go to the camp. Uh, I've seen that happen in the seven-on-seven season as well. Kids will change the position, and sometimes it's to their benefit. I mean, you got to play this thing smart. There's so much strategy involved in getting recruiting, and I try to do the best that I can in writing articles and putting it out there for people to just be smart and heady about recruiting. There are politics involved. There's going to be poli- Do you know why there's politics involved in recruiting? Because it's a big-time business, and there's a lot at stake. You want to know why there's cheating, Mario, going on in 7-on-7? Because for these guys, there's a lot at stake. There's scholarships on the line. Um, Some of these 7-on-7 coaches think they're going to get picked up by Power 5 schools if they (laughs) um, do really well in a 7-on-7 season. So for them, a lot is at stake. And when you have a lot at stake, there's cheating involved. And, And there's politics involved because there's something out there to be had that people really, really want. And so that's the case. But um, that's the deal. That's what we've got going on. And I don't know what you get with playing overage players. But down here, there's complaint about officiating as well, um, which is, you know, something that often happens in um, high school football is complaining about officiating. 
Um, but they really do complain about it down here in seven on seven. It seems to be tailored for certain schools to win. I don't know if that's true. If you ask me, really, if you ask me what seven on seven really should be about is just um, grown men being mentors to some kids. It's really what it should be about. Absolutely. Should you pursue greatness and try to win? Yes. But if you don't, uh, we shouldn't be fighting about it. I think you need to be a mentor and show the kids the right way and help them out and recruit it. So if you have connections there that can further whatever is going on, supplement what's happening in high school, not try to supplant it and say, oh, well, I'm your only voice. I'm the only one who tried to help you. I hate when that happens with seven on seven. And that's what turns high school coaches off is when the seven on seven coaches try to act like they are the only thing that um, was good in the kid's life. So forget your high school coach. He, he's not doing anything for you, especially if a kid came to you and he didn't have an offer. And now he got an offer through seven on seven and you try to insert yourself, the seven on seven coach, as being the only voice that kid needs to listen to as he plays football from now on. Uh, that's almost criminal and it happens. And I hate it because that's not how that works. Sometimes, you know what, that kid receives that offer because, you know, they matured quite a bit after that season was over. So it may not have even been anything that you did specifically. Kid just got, kid just got more mature physically, mentally, and was able to perform better, just looked better than he did during the season. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happening right now with a couple of kids that I coached last season. Since the season has been over, and it's been about two or three months now, they've matured physically and mentally in a way that I just didn't see them during the season. It just wasn't there. And for kids in this age group, it can happen that fast. From one day to the next, boom, a light turns on. So where they weren't much to write home about during the actual football season, when they got to you in the spring, um, this physical maturity and this mental maturity took place. And now they were uh, scholarship worthy. And for that reason alone, they picked up a scholarship offer. And now you're thumping your chest and trying to insert yourself as the only coaching voice they need. Forget about your high school coach. You have any issue, uh, you have any communication going on with the colleges, send them my way. I'm going to handle all of your recruiting. Forget about your high school coach. You're doing a kid a disservice. And that's especially irritating to me to see that going on. So Mario asked me about how do I feel about um, kids being held back in school. Man, Mario, that's been going on in Texas for quite some time. There's uh, a term known as the Texas red shirt. And so for a long time, and it may still be happening, a lot of the kids that you get out of Texas are 19 years old. They're playing ball that senior year at 19. That's the way that it goes. I did not know that that was a huge thing going on in California. I might want to look into how long that was going on. I might have been out there 16 years old going up against some 19-year-olds. Might want to look into that. Nevertheless, um, you know, this, listen, it's all part of the what – I, what did I just say about 10, 15 minutes ago? There's a lot at stake. College football scholarship now means about $250,000 in total, and um, people are going to do whatever they can to make that happen. And so if that means holding the kid back 
in eighth grade, having him repeat eighth grade and enter um, ninth grade as a 15-year-old so he can graduate later and be more dominant on the field, so be it. That's what's happening. Down here in South Florida, um, yes, it does, it does happen intentionally, but uh, it happens unintentionally a lot too. In this state, we have something known as the FCAT, and it's, uh, it's taken out a lot of kids. And that's pushed a lot of kids to the edge. But we have age restrictions. Uh, Mario, do they have age restrictions out in California? Give me, uh, give me an idea on that. Do they have age restrictions out in California? I would like to know about it. I'm going to head out to the phone line, see if we have a question here, if we just have a listener. Caller, you're on the Gridiron Stud Show. Did you have any questions or comments for us? No, man, I ain't got no question or comment. I just like listening to the show. Oh, okay. Thought you might want to join in there. I do have this question for you. Um, How do you feel about a parent holding a kid back um, an extra year so that they could play at age 19 that senior year or graduate um, a year older than their competition that's out there? Do you object to that or do you just feel like this is, you know, them playing the system? Well, I, I lived in Texas, and I trained a bunch of athletes in Texas, and it's a it's a common thing nowadays for parents to take their kid and uh, hold them back. The only bad thing about it is kids are developing at a high school level, and when they get into college, they've already uh, outmatured or overmatured, so now they don't really have any growth process. They can't get any bigger or stronger because they maximize themselves out their last two years of high school playing at 18, 19. And then when they walk into high school, you know, some of them have been a little bit pampered, and now they think that, you know, oh, I'm a big all-state kid out of Texas, and I'm supposed to get a shot. But then you got guys coming in from Florida or Chicago or Detroit or California or Arizona, and these kids got to compete now. And like you said, if you've already maximized your strength and, and overpowering kids younger than you, 16, 17 years old, as a senior, you're going to get to college, and there's going to be kids that's going to overpower you. As, yeah, as so you there's a certain amount a of frustration, I suppose, that settles in when uh, they can't hang with the competition. So I, I presume early on as a freshman they may look good, but as they move deeper into their college career, um, it gets to be a little more difficult, and the young guys that came in catch up to them. Is that is that basically what we see happening? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're starting to say that this is a, an issue out in California as well. I've always known it to be something that was done in Texas, um, but it's starting to become an issue out in California as well, where it's done intentionally. I know down here in the state of Florida, we do have a state exam called an FCAT that's given at certain times throughout um, a kid's schooling, and, um, you know, if they fail, they've got to repeat the grade, so that happens quite often. But what about in California? What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, terminal four, please. Uh, California is the same instance. I mean, you got a lot of kids playing playing high school sports, and if you if you're playing as a 19 year old in high school versus 17 year olds, and you're overpowering kids, I mean, how how much really work are you putting into yourself, or how much discipline are you putting into yourself? And it just, it just gives you an advantage over a kid in high school. Once you get to college, I mean, it's fair competition now. 
Yeah, true enough. But does it not, at least for the parents, accomplish the objective um, of getting that scholarship? Because if you can dominate on the high school football field, I don't know how much these schools care about a kid being a year or two older than his competition. He dominated, and we're evaluating him off of high school, so he gets the scholarship. And so isn't that mission accomplished? Um, if, if that if that's your accomplishment to get to college and get a scholarship, absolutely, it's a great accomplishment. Um, because the fact of it is, you know, you you're not paying for your kid to go to school. The bad thing about it is that the kid is going to be at a disadvantage because he's been overpowering kids. As now, he got to go up against some real men. He's not going up against kids as younger than him, two years younger than him. So yeah, it's totally different. I mean, I've, yeah, had, no, I've I... had young. I've had young men call me crying, talking about coaches cussing them out, calling them out their names. You know, what do I do? I want to quit playing football. And I'm like, why you want to quit playing football? I said, remember, you was a bully in high school. I said, this is not high school anymore. I said, but put your big boy pants on and realize you can't be standing up and, you know, trying to block people or run through people. I said, this is college. I said, there's a, there's a different type of animal that you're dealing with when you're at a Division One school. And if you if you a high school, you know, elite athlete, I mean, the competition gets stiffer as you get to college. And, I mean, they need to understand that. I mean, because not all freshmen are going to be successful at a Division One program. There's only very yeah, no. few that's going to make it. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. Um, and, it, you know, I've, I've seen that happen as well. I didn't know it was something going on in California. So I've been enlightened by that. I just know that it's been a big deal in Texas, man. I appreciate um, you calling in and, and giving your thoughts on that. I'm going to leave you on so you can hear the rest of the show, but thanks for calling. All right. Always. Yeah. So uh, uh, like I said, there's a lot of it at stake with the college scholarships. So um, parents are ready to do any and everything. And if that means holding a kid back, um, so that they could graduate at age 19 or 20, well, then so be it. That's what's going to happen. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. Um, I tend to think that that is going to probably be a big part of the equation. As soon as enough people have um, some success in doing it and word gets around, you can fully expect that to be duplicated. So um, there, that's the reason why we have certain rules in place. Um, and if I'm correct, I don't think you could turn 19 down here in the state of Florida anymore. And it, once you turn 19, it's over. Um, and so that can happen in the middle of a season. Um, and you would only be able to play half of the season. Once you turn 19, you're done playing. And, you know, if this becomes an epidemic in California, I think they're going to need to institute some kind of rule like that if they haven't already. Again, if anyone out there listening knows what the rule is in terms of how old you can be playing um, on the field, in California, feel free to, to uh, enlighten me on that. Um, I played high school football in California, but was never aware of that. Didn't need to be. Um, not something I was really all that concerned with. But um, I do know at a time down here in the state of Florida, you could be all the way up to 19 years and nine months. And then uh, a couple of years ago, they moved that back to the moment you turned 19, that was it for you. And uh, I, I felt that was necessary. Uh, like I said, you had kids failing the state exam, the FCAT, and you had a lot of older kids dominating out there. I used to call them FCAT babies. So you had the FCAT babies out there running around destroying kids on the field, and they were taking offers and scholarships from other kids 
that, you know, potentially we're going to be better. And the only reason a guy was really dominating is because, man, he was two, three years older than, uh, than the other kids he was competing against. And it only stands to reason, like our caller said, uh, and that's going to catch up with them at the college level. And aren't we recruiting off of potential? So what's the potential for a kid that's graduating at age 20 versus one that's graduating at age 17? And as a caller said, these kids are maxed out physically, and um, you're not going to get much more out of them at the college level than what you see right now. And so you're looking at basically a finished product. And so if that kid on that high school football field can't get it done right away, he's never going to get it done. He's the age of a college uh, junior, sophomore. There are a pair of kids right now, um, one that just finished college, um, one that just finished his second year in college, that are older than my son who's just completed his first year in the NFL. Pretty good players, though, I will say that. Um, one is going to probably be a first-round pick in this year's NFL draft, and um, the other one is going to be um, a pretty good football player, I think, coming up this season. But, you know, I just brought that up to show, like, both of these kids graduated after my son in high school, but both of them were older. One graduated a year after him. The other one graduated two years after them. Both of them were older. And so these things happen. In their case, though, they've turned out to be fine college football players. But I tend to think you've got a whole ton of them who don't quite end up cutting the mustard at the schools that they go to because they max out. And so that's going to be an issue as well going forward. So there's so many things for us to attack. Like I said, later on this week coming up, I'm going to have a seven-on-seven show, and I'm going to talk to guys on both sides of the fence for All-Star 7-on-7, those that are proponents for it as well as those who oppose it vehemently. And, uh, you know, you've got some folks out there that really, really hate 7-on-7. And before we go, I see that the rule out there in California, thanks to Mario Daly, tells me the CIF rule is you can't turn 19 before June 14. So kids whose birthday is after June can play. Being a 16-year-old freshman is, yeah, it is indeed ridiculous. And listen, if, if they continue to hold kids back, they'll revisit that rule. But uh, I'm always I'm intrigued by what's going on in California. Things are changing out there. And um, it's going to be interesting to see where things go. The transfer rules, holding kids back, it's turning into a little bit of a free-for-all. And uh, listen, I'm hearing they're fighting. They had some brawls at some seven-on-sevens. Um, fun times out there in California. But anyway, that's going to wrap up this show. I'm going to be back tomorrow uh, with another Gridiron Stud show, and there'll be another issue on the table. So I want to thank all of you that listened to the show today. Um, appreciate you chiming in with your thoughts um, and, um, and all of your comments as well. I appreciate it. It's always fun doing this both on Facebook Live as well as Blog Talk Radio. Not the easiest thing in the world to do, but nevertheless, got it done. Um, so, uh, again, appreciate you guys listening. On, uh, it didn't matter where you came from, whether you were listening um, on Blog Talk Radio or following me here on Facebook Live. I really appreciate it. And, again, we'll be back tomorrow um, with another Gridiron Stud show. So I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. 
And uh, we'll see you next time on the Great Iron Station. Get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payouts. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now!